your Christmas 2020? Secular or supernatural? Our society, our culture is engaged in a war. There are many battles currently being fought on many different levels in this conflict. But there is one foundational issue in this war. And there is no better time than the second Sunday of Advent for us to look at the scriptures concerning the advent of Christ and understand once more the basic foundational issue of this transcendent struggle in which we're engaged. As we look at these at the scripture before us this morning in John 1 First, I want us to see that the supernatural is foundational to understanding the birth of Jesus. Look at John 1, verses 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love the scripture readings from the gospel that we read all during this Advent season, whether we're in Matthew or John or Luke. These Advent readings are filled with the supernatural. Think about it. Where does Luke begin? He begins with an angel coming to Zacharias and then to Mary. Right there at the beginning of the story of Jesus, You have the supernatural. You have an angel. His name is Gabriel. From whence did the angel come? It was not from this world. He came from God. Matthew also begins his record with that same angel coming to Joseph. In Luke, the angel told Mary that even though she was a virgin, she would conceive by the power of God and would give birth to a man who would be known as the son of the most high. And then, then there's the apostle John writing his record of the birth of Jesus. That's what we read this morning. He does not mention angels or Mary or even the virgin birth. He says nothing of a trip to Bethlehem or the host of angels announcing the birth to the shepherds. But nonetheless, this is his nativity scene. John cuts right to the bottom line. What was happening with the angels? What was happening with this virgin birth? John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice his birth narrative. This is so beautiful. His birth narrative doesn't just reach back to creation. It reaches back prior to creation. To God alone. And what happened? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That creating God 
became one of us. Why are these passages from his advent so significant right now? Because Scripture is hurling, is throwing down the supernatural into the middle of our secular, godless, miracleless society. People, you know this, the Judeo Christian worldview. Today is being burned at the stake from the university to Wall Street. The secular world, the secular worldview dominates every major institution of our culture. And it cancels that secular worldview, cancels, that is, prohibits any other thoughts. It's hostile. To any other thoughts. Our secular word, the our secular word, or the word secular, comes from an old French word, seculate. It means simply world. That's how it was used. It was used of a people who lived in the world as opposed to serving inside the church. In our day, that term is used to describe a worldview a philosophy of life. The secular, secular worldview is one of a closed universe. There's nothing outside of this physical universe. There's no supernatural. Go back to the beginning. Go back to before atoms and molecules, before this physical world. There's no God in this worldview. There's nothing but this material world. No God, hence no angels, no absolute law, no heaven, no hell, no ultimate justice, no ultimate meaning. Any religion with a God is a fairy tale in the eyes of the secular world. If you have a secular world and life view, you are at odds with the Bible from the very beginning because it doesn't say in the beginning there were molecules and atoms and material things. It says, in the beginning, God. You come down to the gospel. There's no supernatural in the beginning of the universe. There's no supernatural at the beginning of the gospel. There couldn't be. Not in this secular worldview. Now go. Let's, let's stand Matthew and Luke and John here this morning. They wrote, they wrote these words. Let's ask them to take the supernatural. Matthew, Luke, John, take the supernatural out of your gospel narratives. They would be confused. They would say, what do you mean take it out? This is history. You're leaving out a, you're leaving out a part of real history, space-time history. They would tell you that if you remove the supernatural, you remove the very person of Jesus. Take away the supernatural, you take away Jesus. So in this first part, 
The supernatural is foundational to understanding the birth of Jesus. You can't do away with that and still have the Jesus of the gospel. Secondly, I want us to see in this passage this morning that the supernatural is foundational to understanding the spiritual rebirth of the Christian. Look at John 1, 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born, who were born, children of God, born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. As he spoke of his chief subject, the supernatural incarnate birth of the Son of God. Don't miss this, people. Don't miss it. He also spoke of the supernatural rebirth of men and women. As he speaks of the supernatural birth of Jesus, he just naturally speaks of the supernatural rebirth of the people of God. The first extensive conversation of Jesus with one, of, with one individual about salvation that John records is about the rebirth. And you know it well. It's in John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. Look at that on your scripture sheet. <clears throat> there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus, Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We usually let this passage in John 3, this narrative about Nicodemus, we usually let it stand alone. We don't link it with anything that comes before. It's just an encounter that a man had with Jesus. But that's not how we should see it. <clears throat> John meant his words in chapter 1 to naturally flow into what we see and hear in chapter 3. Already he had said to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God born. In chapter 3 then elaborates on those verses from chapter 1. Nicodemus, we looked at this several weeks ago as we talked about sanctification. Nicodemus was a leader of the Pharisees. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a very, very religious man. He was the epitome of, of a man who believed he would be saved by his good works. He believed he would be saved because here was the law of God and he meticulously followed the law of God. He believed that he, he believed if a man reformed his life outwardly by the law of God, he would be saved. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're not in need of an outward reformation. You're in need of an inward transformation by the power of God. That was the message. I mentioned this again as we looked at a, as we looked at sanctification a few weeks ago, one of our lessons on sanctification, but I'm going to elaborate on it a bit. 
uh, a, Nicodemus, a Nicodemus knocked on my door years ago, early on a Monday morning. He was a banker. He had called the night before and asked if he could come by on his way to work. He had been a longtime member of a very liberal Presbyterian church. He had been sitting in the pews of Independent Presbyterian Church for several, for just several weeks, and he was disturbed. The preaching he had heard for decades in his liberal church was that if he was a good man, he would be all right with God. I knew his former minister, knew his former minister well. That minister did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, did not believe Jesus was born of a virgin, did not believe in the miracles of Jesus. You see, that minister had sold the essential supernatural gospel of Scripture for a secular world and life view like Esau. He had made a bad trade. The first question the banker asked me that Monday morning, I almost laughed. It, it was so much like this conversation Nicodemus and Jesus had. He sat down and he came right to the point. John, where did you get the idea that we must be born again? And what does that mean anyway? Before I read him the story of Nicodemus and Jesus in chapter 3, I read from John 1. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Then on top of that, I read the account of Jesus and Nicodemus. He was so much like Nicodemus, and even he saw that. He knew nothing of his need to be born again. People, this man had been a Presbyterian elder in his church, and he didn't know about this. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher in Israel, and you don't understand these things? Let me ask you a question this morning. If John 1 and 3 Is the new birth, as as you read that in John 1 and 3, is the new birth described as something you do or is it something that God does? There's no way around it. It is a transformation of your inner being supernaturally wrought by the Holy Spirit. What you see here is John moves easily from the supernatural birth of Jesus to our own supernatural rebirth. So the supernatural is foundational to understanding the birth of Jesus. The supernatural is foundational to understanding the spiritual rebirth of the Christian. Thirdly, the supernatural birth of the incarnation explains the extraordinary miracles of Christ. Look at verse 14. He speaks of this supernatural birth, and then he says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the only Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. What glory did they see? They saw the glory of Jesus making a blind man to see, making a deaf man to hear, making a paralyzed man to walk, 
raising the dead. Can you imagine what that was like? We've never seen anything like it. No one in history had ever seen anything like it. They saw the glory of, of Jesus before the incarnation. Remember he was on the mountaintop with Peter and James and John. And the glory that he had before the incarnation was he showed like the noonday sun. They saw that. Here's an assignment to you. Go home today. This is, this is something you ought to do. I've done this. And read, read Matthew, read Luke, read John, except leave off the birth narratives. Leave off the first chapter of Matthew. Leave off the first and second chapter of Luke. Leave off the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. You'll begin with the ministry of John the baptizer. Then you'll see Jesus moving out to call the disciples. And then you'll see this, this great, these incredible miracles, day after day, week after week, month after month. And he did it by fiat. He just, he just spoke. He commanded other other people had prayed like we prayed this morning for someone to be healed. Jesus just spoke and they were healed. So as you're reading that, and let's pretend you've never read it before. You've never read the Gospels before. This is the first time that you've ever encountered Jesus. And so you're saying, who is this man? How can he just be a man? You would know that there's some part of this story that you're not getting. You would be asking, where did this man come from? <clears throat> you see, Matthew 1, Luke 1 and 2, and John 1 gives you the background so that you can understand the life and miracles of Jesus. It just makes sense then. He was the son of God? Well, yeah, the miracles make sense. You know, the Gospels are very exacting about those who oppose Jesus. Herod, Pilate, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees called Jesus a blasphemer because he claimed to be God. They said that he was in league with the devil. That's where he got his power. Do you know the one thing they didn't say? What's the one thing that the Pharisees and Sadducees did not say? They never denied the reality of the miracles of Jesus. They never said it didn't happen. They saw these miracles themselves. They couldn't deny the reality. They were there when he made the blind to see and the paralyzed to walk. They were there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I think it's one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. It's John 12, 11 and 12. It shows you this the complete blindness of mankind. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, all these people saw it, and they were becoming believers in Christ. 
What did the Pharisees do? <clears throat> they made plans not only to get rid of Jesus, they made plans to get rid of Lazarus. Read it this afternoon in John 12, 11 and 12. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. <clears throat> what did Nicodemus say? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's one, <clears throat> that's one of the great understatements found in, in the Gospels. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You want to look at Nicodemus and say, you think? Duh. No other man we've ever known in history could make the blind to see just by speaking, just by command. When my secular college professor would say to me, John, how can you believe in the miracles of Jesus? We would have these debates. He, was talking about, he would talk about being modern, how God could not have become flesh, how this is just a, a fairy tale. How can you believe in this modern day in the miracles of Jesus? And the answer was easy. It's not rocket science. If he is indeed God, what do you expect him to do? I would say, Dr. Clayton, if there were no miracles, what would you be saying to me? If I said he was a son of God, if I said these birth narratives are true, you would be saying, where are the miracles? The supernatural is foundational to understanding the birth of Jesus. Supernatural is foundational to understanding the spiritual birth of Rebirth of the Christian. The supernatural birth of the incarnation explains the extraordinary miracles of Christ. And fourthly, the supernatural rebirth of the Christian explains his life, explains our lives. Why do we live the way we do? We're swimming upstream in a secular culture, aren't we? It's not easy. Peter, we saw this in our lessons on sanctification. Peter refers to us as Christians as exiles living in this world. Why do we live the way we do? Because we have been born again. Because we've encountered the supernatural. <clears throat> this is a theme of John's gospel. In the supernatural birth of Jesus, John wrote about the miraculous works, and life of Jesus. In the supernatural rebirth of the Christian, he wrote about the different lives that the people of God would live. Even, even in this first chapter, in the first chapters of the gospel, Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is it just a geographical command? No. He was calling men and women to follow him in their manner of living, in their inner and outward behavior. He spoke of the way that they would love, the extraordinary way that they would love. And he said, people will know 
that you belong to me because of the way that you love. The Christian's described in in Scripture is not only someone that's been born again by the power of God, but the Holy Spirit himself resides in us. That's who the Bible says we are. You were changed by the Holy Spirit and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. There can't be any other interpretation of Scripture. That's it. You can say it's a lie. You can say you don't believe it. But the one thing you cannot say is that Scripture does not teach that. Just as Jesus made the blind to see and the paralyzed to walk, proving his deity, you have a love that the world does not understand. We have a joy that sings songs in the darkness. We have a peace that is beyond our own imagination. What am I saying in this message? In this Advent, don't hide the supernatural nature of the gospel. In the supernatural nature of what has happened to you, what's happened to us, don't hide it. Don't run from it. Do you know where I first heard when I was writing this? I thought back to the very first time I encountered men and women laughing at the deity of Christ. Laughing at the angels in the supernatural. And it wasn't out in the ungodly of the world. It was in a Presbyterian college. And those who were laughing were ministers. You see, the world around them had laughed at the supernatural. And so these ministers had run back to the church and said, you know, we've got to get rid of the virgin birth. The world's just not buying into this. We must get the angels out of the story. We must get the miracles. Get rid of the miracles of Jesus. It's absurd to think he was God. They were saying if we really want to get along with the world as a church, we've got to follow their lead. We've got to relate to the world in a very real way. And they have been zealously trying to get the supernatural out of the church ever since. ABC, NBC, CBS. Go sit down, be interviewed, and tell them this is what you believe. They're going to laugh. But I'm not speaking to the world this morning about this. It's the church. Folks, there's not a more urgent message for us in the days of this Advent, Advent 2020. We must get back to the supernatural nature of our faith, the supernatural nature of our doctrine. We must get back to the supernatural nature of who Jesus is and who we are if we're going to counter this pervasive secularism. I know that some of you thinking, well, what can we do? This is the only way we're going to counter it. That's how the first century changed the Roman Empire. The gospel filled with the supernatural has changed individuals, families, cities, nations, and civilizations. Fairy tales don't do that. Wherever the supernatural gospel is gone, the family has been strengthened. Schools have been built. Children's homes have been built. Hospitals have been built. You remove the supernatural aspects of this gospel to please the world around you and it will become an anemic story that changes nothing. Every time I drive through New England, I'm appalled at the number of church buildings that have been turned into museums and boutiques and bed and breakfasts. Let me tell you, no church 
filled with the Holy Spirit ever closed its physical doors to become a museum or boutique or bed and breakfast. We must end this. I want to end, close, by reading from Philippians 2, 5 through 7. It's there on your scripture sheet. The Lord is at hand. That means the supernatural is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with your thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why did I choose that passage to close this message? It doesn't seem to relate, but oh, but it does. You see, you think when you read that, boy, whoever wrote that was really in a copacetic situation, was in a great situation. They must have been in a palace living an easy life. No, when Paul wrote that, he was in jail in Rome. He was under a sentence of death. The Philippian church, the church of Philippi, had written a letter concerned about their beloved father in the faith. He had already assured them early in the letter that he was fine. He said to live as Christ and to die is gain. I've got a place in glory. He said that he had already told them that he would rather depart and be with Christ. And he comes down to the end of the letter, and he talks about a peace of soul that is beyond imagination in this very difficult situation in which he finds himself. He was saying, I have a place to go, and it's not into the nothingness. I don't cease to exist. There's a world out there from which Christ and that's where I'm headed. People, all of us will be in that situation sooner or later. Paul was there facing death. We'll all be there. I get closer to it every day. I'm 76 years old. That's not middle-aged. Let me tell you. We'll all be there. If a supernatural God is a stranger to you now, he'll be a stranger to you then. If a supernatural Jesus is a stranger to you now, he'll be a stranger to you then. If a supernatural act of praying is strange to you now, it will be strange then also. This Christmas, this Advent, once again, make this a time of renewal with the Father who sent his Son, with the Son who is your elder brother, with the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And once again, stand and confess the incredible supernatural truths of Scripture in the Incarnation. Make it your purpose to say to your children and your grandchildren, this Christmas, the Lord's at hand. The Lord's at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Be able to say when you come to that time, not only this Christmas, be able to say, to look your children in the eye as you lie on a bed about to go home. Be able to look in the eye and say, the Lord is at hand, children. The Lord is at hand, grandchildren. Do not be anxious about anything.